Welcome to Nerd News with Gregory Simonson. Would you look at that? My YouTube subscription box is filled to bursting with new video game trailers for games I first heard about two E3s ago. It must be that time of year again, specifically this year's E3. The Electronic Entertainment Expo, or E3, held in San Francisco is where the video gaming industry, or at least the part of it looking to sell to the English-speaking market, unveils all the latest and greatest pieces of technology and video gaming. Which this year includes a console that continues Microsoft Xbox's proud tradition of naming itself as poorly as possible. It must have taken a special kind of marketing team to come up with the name Xbox One for their third Xbox, and for now, the next one is called, vaguely, Project. Scarlet. It'll compete with the impending PlayStation 5, also due out next year, although obviously it won't compete on the name front because PlayStation 5 is much more sensible. See, Microsoft, they called it that because it was the fifth one. That's how numbers work. Wow, I hadn't realized I've been repressing all these minor grievances for the entirety of the current console generation. On the software front, games continue to push boundaries with innovative mechanics such as co-op in the latest Wolfenstein game subtitled Youngblood, meaning you can kill Nazis twice as quickly, and a really cool new feature called putting Keanu Reeves in your game. Although Cyberpunk 2077, I'd just like to point out that you were technically beaten to the punch by Fortnite of all games, which is that you actually play as Keanu Reeves for a John Wick 3 promotional tie-in. I actually just stopped being able to process how ridiculous the sentences I've been saying have become. This is all your fault, Keanu Reeves. On the plus side, we did get an official release date for Cyberpunk 2077, which is never a guarantee with video games. <coughs> Half-Life 3. <coughs> Mm. But it's a start. It's the 16th of April next year, by the way, which you're right, is almost another E3 away. So looking forward to seeing more trailers for that this time next year, I guess. Maybe I'm sounding a bit down on this year's batch of our annual hyper-compressed video game news bulletin, but I guess this is what you get when literally the only thing anyone has spoken about in your industry for the past two years is Fortnite and games that might one day replace Fortnite. A valiant attempt Apex Legends, especially reassuring to see EA can still make video games without trying to bleed your wallet dry through loot boxes, but I'm afraid you're at best Terraria. In case you were wondering how HBO could possibly be planning to replace Game of Thrones and aren't under the impression anyone's going to be happy with a spin-off series set thousands of years in the past, I mean, what does HBO think? That I'll just buy anything with GOT's brand on it? I'm aware I'm wearing a GOT hat and a GOT t-shirt. That's not the point. They've finally released a trailer for one of their candidate big-budget behemoths, specifically a show set in the wonderful world of murdered superheroes found in Watchmen. The original movie was, of course, directed by the man who thinks buff men and spandex doing cool murders is deep in and of itself without any context whatsoever. Because look, it's all in slow motion. Zack Snyder and HBO's show is allegedly a sequel of sorts to that film. It's not clear from the trailer exactly how many filler shots of superheroes staring at each other meaningfully are going to be required in order to pull this off below budget. But I'm assuming it's going to be about equivalent to the number of slow-mo shots in a totally deep and meaningful Zack Snyder film. As everyone knows, birds are just dinosaurs with an, on average, better sense of fashion. I say on average because, I mean, I've seen pigeons. The past couple of decades have seen paleontologists try to hunt down the missing link between regular dinosaurs that couldn't fly and dinosaurs that were better than those ground-bound plebeians. Think that ape-to-man cartoon, but in slow motion, and most people have only seen the Archaeopteryx. A new piece of the puzzle was recently unearthed in China. It's called Ambopteryx longibrachium, which is surprisingly not the name of a 
special kind of mould found only on faux Tudor-style bed and breakfasts in the Kaysadan Midlands. It's the name of a bat-like dinosaur, which, because it would have looked vaguely reptilian with proto-feathers, means it looked like a miniature dragon, probably. One of the artistic renderings of it certainly did. It's not actually the first bat-like dinosaur to be found in China, but it is more complete and confirms earlier theories about things like wing shape. Stones were found in its stomach, which suggests it used them for digestion, much like many modern birds. Wait, that can't be true. Birds don't. Let me Google that quickly. Oh no, some of them do swallow gravel for digestion. That's a really unfortunate 163 million year old habit to have. We should probably hold an intervention for them or something. In an apparent attempt to one-up bees in her eye lady, so named for the sake of anonymity, the fact that I can't pronounce Mandarin very well, and of course, the fact that she had bees in her eye, somebody recently took to the internet with a delightful new ailment. After heading to hospital with a strange crawling sensation in his head, which is a very metal illness to have, by the way, doctors discovered there was a spider living in his ear. I know, and it's not even Halloween. That said, despite the fact that there was a spider inside of his head, this wasn't do the doctor's first diagnosis. I didn't even notice it when inspecting his ear with the naked eye, Dr. Zhang Pan informed reporters. However, using an endoscope, I discovered the small spider inside. Many were confused about what exactly a spider might want to eat inside one's ear, and the answer is probably that species of cricket that keeps getting in people's ears as well. I'm kidding, you, you probably don't have crickets in your ear right now, but no promises. Putting quantum in front of words is a proven method for making them sound smarter, but can it make things sound more artistic? Quantum scientists have been branching out of their dead cat-filled comfort zone to find out using something called a Bose-Einstein condensate. I'd love to be able to tell you what they mean by that, but special state of matter where microscopic phenomena become macroscopic somehow feels reductive, wrong, and confusing all at the same time. But skipping over that minor detail, scientists have been using the Bose-Einstein condensate, or magic matter as I've decided to call it, to replicate famous paintings. My breakdown either will or won't offend a large number of physicists, and that sort of superposition is exactly what quantum physics is all about, right? Dr. Neely of the University of Queensland, who worked on the research, has indicated they intend to get an artist on board on the basis that just because quantum science can't be used for building a computer yet doesn't mean it's entirely useless to us, especially not if quantum science can be used to invent a really bad photocopier. The Terminator franchise is a big, timey-wimey mess of a film series based entirely on the premise that if you can make one good sequel, you might as well try churning out as many more as you can, on the off chance it happens again by accident. But then, the tactic suddenly worked for the Halloween franchise last year, as so perchance certain Hollywood bigwigs like their odds on the latest entry, for which a fresh trailer was just released. It's called Terminator Dark Fate, and by the looks of the poster, it would really like you to know James Cameron was involved, although technically Technically, the series creator wasn't involved in any sort of directorial capacity. That only goes to Mark Miller of Deadpool, because as we know, he's going to be busy not releasing Avatar 2 until his retirement, or the heat death of the universe, whichever has the audacity to come first. Also making a comeback is Sarah Connor herself, Linda Hamilton, presumably because Halloween rarely left an impression, and also because the good Terminator movies are exclusively a list of films she's starred in. And somebody somewhere must have finally figured out it was worth paying whatever she was asking to get her back on board. Oh yeah, Jonathan, it definitely has something to do with her incredibly weird relationship to her ex-husband and blue past enthusiast, James Cameron, but I'm not touching that with a barge pole while inhabiting an avatar on Pandora. You know, the great thing about avatar references is 
is that they never work because nobody will admit to watching the movie despite its temporarily continued reign as the world's most financially successful film. The movie resets the story back to just after Terminator 2, Judgment Day, which frankly wasn't even necessary because at this point time travel has so catastrophically destroyed any logical sequence of events in these movies that you could put it at any point in history and briefly reference John Connor and Skynet under your breath as an explanation and people would probably roll with it out of sheer exhaustion. New York is the city that never sleeps, Orlando is where people go to see Florida Man and theme parks, and a little-known fact about Baltimore is that exactly zero people care about Baltimore. Literally the first line on its Wikipedia page highlights the fact that it's the biggest city in the state of Maryland, which is what happens when you're as boring as Baltimore. People start comparing you to other things in Maryland. However, in an apparent attempt to redeem their lackluster reputation for mundanity, they've been staging a mid-2000s cyber thriller, or more accurately, a mid-2000s cyber thriller has been happening to them. Let's not give them too much credit for being interesting, after all. Using a selection of stolen NSA tools, a group has taken down a park-and-find database along with water and property tax payment systems. The city is effectively being held for a ransom of 13 bitcoins, which is apparently still a lot of money. A similar ransomware attack occurred in Atlanta, Georgia in March last year, and they don't even have the excuse of being boring. Childish Gambino does a TV show there for Disney. Obviously, the fact that the attack was essentially an NSA blunder is concerning, but on the plus side, it's still just the same Eternal Blue exploit that virtually covered the entire planet's reserve of internet-connected Windows XP devices in a ransomware attack that took out everything from the NHS in the UK to engineering firms in China. So it's not like the NSA have subsequently made more blunders, it's just the same blunder haunting them over and over again like a ghost with the same approach to unwanted sequels as the Terminator franchise. Now, ordinarily, the discovery of a billion-year-old fungus would lead to some very invasive questions about your personal hygiene regimen, or about when last you'd mopped the floor, but scientists have managed to put a positive spin on it, as only they can, always giving us good news scientists like the impending man-made destruction of the planet they've been going on about for a while. The fossilized fungus study by Corentin Laurent of the University of Belgium is of particular interest because fungus is relatively closely related to animals. Feels a bit like a put-down, but I guess the alternative is trees, which... No, I'm trying to spit. I can't. Trees are objectively better than fungus, but that's fine. This means the discovery of such an ancient specimen it indicates the origin of animals, a group that generally constitutes most of the things on the planet that we care about, might well have been further back in time than anyone's so far been willing to estimate. In a bizarre refusal of the laws of physics, Hideo Kojima's new video game, Death Stranding, has continued to get weirder the more information the public is given about it. It's like the platypus of video games, or Aurelio Voltaire, but that's so deep cut it took me three hours to look up just for this sentence. Also having officially nailed down a release date, they appear to be committed to the name Death Stranding, which is really all you need to know about the amount of creative freedom they were given on this project. That release date is November of this year, by the way, which is surprisingly soon for a game that looked like it was intent on languishing in development hell until somebody releases Beyond Good and Evil 2 or Half-Life 3. Using motion capture techniques that are only slightly uncanny valley, the game is going to star the likes of Walking Dead's Norman Reedus and Mads Mikkelsen. It also features a lot of weird babies. I'm going to leave that here without explanation because, as I've said, explaining it does the opposite of helping it make sense. The names of the characters these people will be playing, by the way, include the likes of Fragile, Die Hard Man, Heart Man, 
and just Sam. It's a weird way to find out that's what people think American names sound like in Japan, but I'm all for it. We'd really like to go to Mars, mostly because of our desperate need to stunt on the rest of the universe once we find where everybody else is hiding from us, but also because scientists are less than impressed so far with our ability to listen to them about the whole man-made destruction of the planet's ecosystem thing. Of course, while it's not currently suffering the effects of global warming, it does have one or two drawbacks, chief among them the lack of oxygen, scientifically known as the magic life juice in the air that you need to survive. I mean, are you telling me you're sure it's not called that, Jonathan? One solution is to make our own. Some progress has been made on that front recently. Researchers have managed to produce some oxygen molecules by extracting them from CO2. Speaking about their progress, Professor Constantinos Giappis, which is the only legal name for a demon-slaying puppet maker, had the following to say, At the time, we thought it would be impossible to combine the two atoms of a CO2 molecule together because CO2 is a linear molecule, and you would have to bend the molecule severely for it to work but it's somehow got pulled off. It's obviously not a particularly efficient trick yet, but it could be a solution to a problem we're going to have as soon as we get around to actually going to Mars in, I don't know, say the next 200 years. If you've never seen the Disney Channel show Kim Possible, don't worry, I'm only going to reference it briefly so that I can do a special on the mole rat, because frankly I don't talk enough about rodents for somebody who's meant to be covering science. Rodents are like the second most important part of scientific research, according to my meticulously gathered data, which involved interviewing a family of mice and started living in my laundry basket. They weren't terribly cooperative, but they did accidentally google the phrase lab rat as they ran away over my keyboard. Ron Stoppel's famous naked mole rat side kick is obviously unsettling in real life on account of how he doesn't have any fur. For reference, see any image of a furless cat. If you've never seen one, imagine a frog being both inflated and stretched out before being painted the colour of a million different veins and possessed by a petulant demon. That last bit has nothing to do with the hairlessness, it's just a standard cat thing. It turns out there's something even more extraordinary about the mole rat than the fact that it looks bad naked and somebody really ought to get it to wear clothes. Certain species of African mole rats, which are better than Ron's pet Rufus on the basis that they're not starkers, are impervious to different kinds of pain, including pain due to acid, which given the probability of exposure experienced by the children in Kim Possible, makes these kinds of mole rat a much better choice for Ron. I mean, irresponsibility was one of his character traits, so it's understandable that he would pick the wrong mole rat. That doesn't mean I'm not judging him for it. What's that, Jonathan? Naked mole rats are also both pain and death resistant. Now I'm just unsettled. The research into a broader range of mole rat species was conducted by the Center for Molecular Medicine in Germany in response to the earlier naked mole rat study in order to nail down these systems by which we experience pain so that we can improve our ability to stop doing that because it's famously not a super popular ability in humans. While Keanu Reeves was drawing all the attention he could for the second video game to feature his glorious face, yes I am going to rub that in Cyberpunk 2077 and it's technically the fifth if you count the Matrix video games, of which we shall say no more lest they appear bloody marry-like from the nearest convenient mirror to haunt us all, the rest of the gaming industry was busily making their individual case for you to give them a small fortune to acquire their latest rendition of a genre that was perfected three years ago in a much cheaper game that you can probably buy right now. I'm not down on the gaming industry, what I gave you that right there, Jonathan? Microsoft made a rather interesting move announcing what essentially amounts to more Forza 4, only this time with Lego, all scored by the Lego movie's ironically generic and catchy theme song, like 
Turn 10 Studios were the first geniuses to think of putting Lego in a video game. Late to the party though they may be, they are right for reasons thus far hidden from science. Putting Lego in your video game objectively improves it by up to 100%. Also, continuing the Lego theme, I've, much like the Danish toy manufacturing industry, struck up entirely accidentally, there is going to be another Lego Star Wars, which ought to satisfy all the many OCD fans of Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga, that were hoping for the saga to become, seemingly impossibly, even more complete. Avengers may have a seemingly limitless capacity for box office destruction, but on the video gaming front, superhero games remain, much like the corresponding X-Men franchise, more of a hit-or-miss situation. Sometimes you get the new Spider-Man game, and sometimes you get DC Universe Online, an MMO that it turns out does still exist, despite my assumption that a massively multiplayer online game needs a massive number of players in order to stay online. Nevertheless, the long-awaited Avengers game does now have gameplay footage, proving insofar as any gameplay footage possibly could that the game exists in a playable state. I realise Beyond Good and Evil 2 has gameplay footage and that Ubisoft may well go under before they manage to release that game but there's also a release date of May next year, so they have to release the game or we get to set fire to Square Enix. I believe that's the actual legal contract they've made. Visually and thematically, the game seems to be attempting some sort of off-brand Marvel Cinematic Universe look, which is incredibly amusing to witness, but because this is radio, just imagine somebody tried to make Robert Downey Jr.'s face in Sims 4. And that's basically the situation. That's been your Nerd News with Gregory Symington Tune, and next time as I get back to the world of science after my brief recess period dedicated to the weird world of video game trailer releases that may or may not lead to the release of an actual video game at some point. Anyone remember Star Wars 1313? Too soon? Well, at least Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is probably going to come out. I really wanted to make a joke about John Burko there, but uh, I don't know that that's going to connect.